uh, you know, if you just look at the story of Pentecost, it's a pretty amazing uh, event in and of itself. But I think to really get the full impact of, of everything that it means, uh, you have to look at the broader context. And I think that's true for any, any event in Scripture. Uh, if you look at you know, the, the fall of man, Adam and Eve, uh, that's a pretty dramatic story in and of itself. But when you consider what things were like before this story, you know, the beauty of creation and the perfect you know, communion and, and harmony and fellowship with the Lord, and then when you look at you know, basically everything that happened after the fall, you know, think every, every terrible thing that's ever happened to any one of us, you can kind of trace back to the moment you know, where sin enter, entered the world. And so when you consider the, consider the context of the fall, it adds a little emotional impact, right, to, to the actual event. Yeah? You, are, you, are you following me with that? Uh, same with uh, you know, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That event is a pretty spectacular event. You know, a flawless man gives his life up, and then you know, the Lord raises him from the dead. That's amazing in and of itself. But when we consider the whole story, you know, the, everything that happened prior, you know, God aggressively working to reconcile his people to himself, and then he does that through his son, and then we consider everything that's happened after the resurrection, you know, the millions and millions of people who have been reconciled to the Father because of what Jesus did. It adds quite a bit to the story, right? It's an amazing story in a vacuum, in and of itself. But when you consider the context, it adds something to it. And so I wanted to kind of take that approach with a Pentecost story. Uh, an amazing story. But when I look at the context, what I see is I see a pretty dramatic shift in the history of the church when Pentecost comes around. Uh, so let's look at that a little bit. You know, let's look before Pentecost. You know, you look into the, into the Old Testament, for example, and all these uh, you know, amazing things happened in the, in the Old Testament, uh, amazing people that lived, incredible stories, true stories, real things that happened. How many of you uh, caught at least part of our Samuel series we just did? Anybody? <laughs> it's one of my favorite series that, that we've done at the church. All that obviously happened in the, in the Old Testament. Amazing stuff, but... Um, one of the things for me that I've noticed when, when I study the Old Testament or hear a message on the Old Testament is that even though I can learn like you know, little lessons from people's lives, uh, I, I just get this overall impression from the Old Testament that it's predominantly talking about these spiritual superstars, you know, the kings and the prophets and the judges, you know, the Davids. And so while I can look at David's life and say, yeah, I want to be a man after God's own heart. I can learn that from David. But I can kind of disassociate myself a little bit, maybe not even consciously, but to some level I disassociate myself because I think, yeah, I'm not really called to be a king of, <laughs> of nations. I'm not called like Abraham to be a father of nations. I'm not called, you know, like Moses to lead people out of a, <laughs> out of a, out of a country. And I'm not called like Samson to have super strength, right? I've actually been praying for that one, though, to be honest with you, in light of... Our softball. I know I've, I'm, by the end of softball season, I hope to have a proper Michael Bolton going on. I'm just going to, just in case, just in case the Lord is willing to do that for me. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry for that visual image that's now stuck in your heads. Uh, my, my point is, though, is that even without consciously doing this, we can keep a, you know, several degrees of separation from these stories and from these people in the Old Testament. And I think part of what we see at Pentecost is we have that crutch or that excuse taken away from us. 
we no longer really have the opportunity to say that, oh, you know, the, the Christian life, you know, the kingdom life is for the super spiritual and the people that have, you know, just these absurd, you know, ridiculous callings to be kings and, and prophets. What we see at Pentecost is what's happening is what's being initiated is being initiated for all of us and extended uh, to all of us. And that's one of the big things about Pentecost. Uh, so let's look at a few things. Uh, you can go ahead and pull, pull up uh, the Pentecost passage, but I'm going to go just a little bit before that. You don't have to look this up, but you know, shortly after the resurrection of Jesus, uh, he gives what we call the Great Commission, and this is really important. The Great Commission is very, very important. I mean, it's really pretty much the focus of our lives, right? You know, extending the kingdom, making disciples of all nations. Uh, his words specifically are, uh, all, authority, all authority in heaven and on earth and on earth has been given to me. Uh, if you want the reference, it's Matthew 28, uh, 17. Uh, actually, I'm in mean 18 is where I'm starting from. Uh, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you, you know, to the very end of the age. So that's the Great Commission. We've all been commissioned to, to do this. Now think about it. If you knew you had about 40 days left to be with your best friends face-to-face, how much idle chit-chat are you going to have? My point being, these are among the last words that Jesus and the last instructions that Jesus uh, was going to share face-to-face with his disciples. And so I think that just adds to the fact that this is important. Okay? The Great Commission is a big deal. So he gives these instructions uh, to his disciples. Then shortly after that, uh, in Acts chapter 1, and we're leading up to Pentecost here, uh, Jesus gives these instructions to his disciples. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he gets the great commission. This is what I want you to do. But wait, okay? Wait here. Don't run off. Stay here. And then that takes us pretty much up to Pentecost. Uh, Marcus uh, did a great job, by the way, uh, reading, uh, reading the Pentecost story. So I'm not going to read every verse, but let's look at it once more just a little bit. This is Acts chapter 2, okay? And uh, yeah, it's up there if you want to follow along. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Pretty crazy, right? Uh, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All right, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit more uh, of what happened after that. There were a lot of believers... uh, in and around the area where this was taking place. But they weren't just uh, you know, Jews from one location. They were Jews from many countries and spoke many different languages. And so as this is happening, you know, the flaming tongues are coming down and, and the Holy Spirit is falling on the disciples and uh, whoever happened to be in the room when it was happening, they started hearing their own languages. All right? Pretty neat, right? Is that pretty cool? Uh, so utterly amazed, verse 7, they ask, aren't, you know, aren't, aren't these people all Galileans, right? How is it that each, how, you know, how are we hearing things in our own languages? And so some of them were just amazed, 
You know, some of them were just, you know, wandering in the moment. Um, and then some of them uh, were a little more skeptical and saying, oh, man, these people are drunk. I don't know how you get that because I don't, I don't know how many of you have ever been, you know, drunk on wine and started speaking a, a different language that you wouldn't normally know. But that was the conclusion these people made. Oh, I'm hearing all these crazy languages. They must be drunk. <laughs> Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice, addressed the crowd. And, he said, and he, he said, let me explain this to you and listen carefully. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. What are we, Irish? Wait, that's not mine. <laughs> I can say that. I'm, I'm Irish. That joke would have killed in Scotland. <laughs> he said, it's only nine in the morning. He said, uh, and then he quoted uh, the prophet Joel, and this is where it gets, I mean, it's all pretty interesting, but this is where it, hits, it should hit home with us a little bit because listen to the language that was spoken in Joel and repeated by Peter. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Okay, and, and he goes on and, 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 and says some more things. These are the things I want to draw out, though. Down in verse 32, uh, Peter says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Okay? And then uh, I'm going to skip down just a little bit, a little bit more. Peter replied, "Repent." You know, they, oh, the the people they were like, "Okay, man, what what do we do? You know, what do we do with, you know, all these crazy things we see happening? What, how do we respond?" Which is always a great question, right? When the Lord shows up, how do I respond? What what do I do? Peter tells him, "Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." Um, and the promise of it is for you and your children and for all who are fall off, uh, far off, uh, for all whom the Lord our God will call. All right? And then uh, the result of all this happening was that about 3,000 people came to the Lord that day. That's a pretty good day, right? I'd like to see 3,000 saved this morning right here. It's going to be hard to do, but I think we can, we can, we can hit it. <laughs> uh, all right, so here's my first, the first thing I want to drive home this morning talking about the Pentecost, the first lesson of the Pentecost that I see is that we really need the Holy Spirit. Sounds pretty simple, right? Look at, look at it this way. Uh, you see multiple times in Scripture the Holy Spirit is referred to as a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit himself is often referred to as a gift, Okay? And the way I see it, we can receive two different kinds of gifts. Some gifts we get are things that we want to have, that are great to have, but are ultimately you know, things that are maybe just you know, kind of superfluous or maybe things that we don't necessarily need but just add to the quality or the enjoyment of our life. And then there's some gifts we get that we need. All right. So parents, when you give your kids... Food and water and shelter and love, those are gifts that they need. The PlayStations and, the, you know, that stuff, that's gifts that, you know, that's great. Even cars, you know, phones, those are great gifts to have, useful gifts. 
But there are some gifts that we need and some gifts that are just great to have. And sometimes I feel like the church approaches the Holy Spirit as a gift that's great to have. It's really helpful to have the Holy Spirit. He can help you out in a pinch. Is that right? He can help you out. You know, He's good to have. But I think where we need to get to is recognize that the Holy Spirit is a gift of necessity. That we need the Holy Spirit. And I think we see that in Pentecost. I mentioned a minute ago that we see this, you know, this shift from maybe kind of the superstar approach to, to Christianity to, to the place where you know, it's being extended, this invitation is being extended, this gift is being offered to all of us. And so you know, something you hear in the vineyard a lot is this expression that everyone gets to play. And I think we really start to see this uh, this happening here at Pentecost, where everyone is invited to play. It's not just for the disciples. You know, the disciples, they were the ones that, the, you know, yeah, the, the tongues were sitting on their head, but the Holy Spirit was given to everyone. You know, the 3,000 that day that, that repented, they received the Holy Spirit. And look through Acts. Everyone that was repenting was getting the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just for the disciples. It's for all of us. Everyone gets to participate in this. It's a big deal. Now, and I want to point out too that, you know, this isn't the first time the Holy Spirit was on the scene. Much like Jesus, Jesus was around from the beginning, so was the Holy Spirit. You know, it wasn't like, you know, this is the first time the Holy Spirit ever did anything. He'd just been kind of sitting around and waiting. The Holy Spirit had been active, right? But like, much like how things changed when Jesus came to earth and now we have the opportunity to really have this personal relationship with Jesus, it's kind of the same thing that now we have this opportunity to have this personal individual interaction with the holy spirit that's offered to everyone just like jesus is available to everyone the holy spirit is available to everyone and we see this now luke eleven thirteen. if you then though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give the holy spirit to those who ask him so the holy spirit is available to anyone who asks right all right, let's look again a little bit more at the context of, of, uh, of Pentecost. Jesus gave the Great Commission, right? And then he told them to wait for the Holy Spirit. Again, we're talking about how, how we recognize that we need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Jesus gave his, the big marching orders and then told them to wait. Go do this, but wait, right? Do you ever wonder what would have looked like if they hadn't waited? I just really just started thinking about that a little bit the other day. What would have happened if the disciples hadn't waited? And I just started, just let my mind wander on it a little bit. I don't have anything to back this up. I just, my mind was wandering. And I imagine that, you know, if they had just, you know, the Lord had given them this big commission and, you know, they loved the Lord, obviously. And so maybe they just, they couldn't contain themselves. And in their anxiousness, they just decided to go on out and start telling people about Jesus. I imagine that they probably could have done some pretty good things, right? I imagine at some point, you know, that the Holy Spirit, that they would have received the Holy Spirit and, you know, and it would have been fine, you know? But because of their complete obedience to the Lord's instructions, because they waited on the Holy Spirit, something much more dynamic and world-changing and history-changing took place. And I think one of the lessons for us there is how important it is that we need the Holy Spirit and we need to learn how to wait on the Holy Spirit. 
See, we can do some good things in our own strength. We can. I mean, there are a lot of people that don't even believe in Jesus that do good things. I mean, it's just, that's, that's just the way it is. You can do some good things in your own strength. But learning how to wait on the Holy Spirit is the difference between doing you know, something good and doing what's best, right? Learning to wait on the Holy Spirit is the difference between doing some, some good ministry and doing like significantly life-changing, community-changing, world-changing ministry. When you're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, there's really no limitations. And so what we have to get, what we have to understand is that we need the Holy Spirit. And we need to learn how to wait on the Holy Spirit. Um, Hannah and Sarah's uh, brother, uh, Caleb, just went on his first uh, international mission trip to Myanmar. Did I pronounce that right? Myanmar? Close enough? All right. Uh, and I believe, it's, what, is, what is it? Is it heavily a Buddhist culture, right? Myanmar? And so uh, Caleb was getting ready for this trip, and he, even before he got there, even before he set foot on the ground there, um, he, you know, they, they were made aware of this you know, incredible you know, temple, this Buddhist temple down there. It's a big deal. Um, supposedly, like up in the, you know, the peak of one of the, the structures there, there's like a, a diamond that's so big it could feed their whole country for like 10 years. I mean, it's something ridiculous, all right? This real elaborate Buddhist temple, the sacred... Uh, grounded them. And even before Caleb set foot on the ground, he knew that part of their mission trip, they were going to be doing a lot of different things, but part of their trip was going to be prayer walking, right? And so uh, he already had really been feeling a stirring in his heart that he really wanted to prayer walk specifically uh, in that area. Uh, so their team is there, and you know there, there's people milling around a bit, and then uh, I don't know, the, the guards or whatever you call the people that are in charge and, and keep up the place, uh, they, they started shooing people out. I don't know if it's just, you know, the, the time was up or what, but, but they were just, they were making people leave, okay? Now, Caleb had a choice. Uh, he could jump on the bus with his team, and they could go on and they could do, you know, some other ministry, and surely it would have been good. But he felt a real stirring from the Holy Spirit. You know, he waited on the Holy Spirit, and he felt this, felt this stirring to, I really feel like I'm supposed to prayer walk here. And so he just walked. He walked right by the guard and guards. And he just went, you know, just wherever he, he felt led to go and, and where to pray. And nobody said a word to him the whole time that he prayer walked. When he got finished, and apparently he even went into some places where the crowds don't normally, normally go. Because when he, when he got back to the bus, the, the leader of the team said, well, Caleb, how does it feel to go where no missionary has ever gone before? He just wasn't just kind of like in the little outer court area where the tourists get to walk around. Apparently, he went and just prayer walked wherever the, the Lord led him to prayer walk, and nobody said a word to him. And I don't know how that happened. I mean, specifically, how I don't know if it was a matter of the Lord just poured out favor on him and just held the, the tongues of the guards he just, maybe, you know, the Lord just made him invisible to God. I don't know, but whatever happened, it was the Lord. And so by waiting on the Holy Spirit, Caleb was able to experience and walk in something that was dramatically more dynamic than, than if he had just done something in his own initiative or in his own power. And I think it underscores 
what kinds of things can happen when just ordinary people... Caleb's not a paid minister. He just loves the Lord. He's like anybody in this room. He loves the Lord, and he listened to the Holy Spirit, and there was a dynamic opportunity that came, up, that, that came about because of his obedience and willingness to wait and follow the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. So gold star for Caleb. <laughs> Another reason we need the Holy Spirit, and I, I really believe this. Uh, I don't think I'm overstating this, but you know, we're talking about the Great Commission, right? If we want to make disciples of, of our community, I don't think we're going to accomplish that without the Holy Spirit. Does that sound pessimistic? I feel like it's realistic. I don't think that we can really reach our community without the Holy Spirit. Let me say something. I feel like Jesus is a good leader, right? Does everybody feel like Jesus is a good leader? Do you feel like it's good leadership to give someone a charge or some instructions and then not empower them to go do the thing that you've told them to do? Right? That doesn't sound like good leadership to me, and I should know because I've been a bad leader. <laughs> I've actually got uh, two, two basketball examples here. All right, we're in Kentucky, so I figure we can use basketball examples as much as we want. When you do that, when a leader gives orders to, to, to people and then doesn't empower them to achieve those things, to me that's what you call a fool's errand, right? They have no hope of achieving the task that they've been ordered to do. Jesus doesn't strike me as a person who would give fool's errands, right? To me, a fool's errand is like when University of Kentucky plays one of these exhibition games against, you know, St. Agnes Cosmetology School before the season starts. <laughs> these teams do, you know, these, these you know, Top-level D1 schools, Division I schools, they, you know, they, they always do a couple of exhibitions against these, you know, it, it's really just a chance for, you know, for them to get some of their players out on the floor that would never normally get to play. And, and you know, to me, the coaches of the cosmetology school, what do they say to their players? I mean, that's a fool's errand. I mean, if they're saying, you know, go out and win one for the Gipper, that's not going to happen. I, I, sometimes I wonder how honest they are <laughs> with with their players, you know? Guys, I hope you didn't invite your families. This is going to get ugly. You know, what are they... <laughs> what, do they even, what do they even say to them? You know, it's a, it's a fool's errand. You know, they should just be honest and say, guys, we're going to get a good paycheck, so go take your lumps and we'll go out to Applebee's when it's over. I don't know. But there's no hope, right, of them, you know, beating Kentucky or whoever. Uh, I work over at the university, and I'm in charge of the intramural sports program. And uh, one of the most... I had a full head of hair, actually, when I started working in the intramural sports program. (laughs) It's not true. Um, The most stress-inducing part is the intramural basketball league. I mean, you know, again, we're Kentucky. People are very passionate um, about, about basketball. And the way it works over there is I get these student workers... And because we have to do so many games, you know, I just don't have the, the budget to just go out and hire, you know, professional refs to run. You know, we have hundreds of games. Robert, you know, Robert's been one of my, one of my refs. Now, Robert, what Robert doesn't know uh, is that my first few years, um, 
this is awful. My first few years, you know, we had a guy that would come in and spend about, you know, maybe an hour just kind of going over a few basics with these student workers, and then we would basically throw them to the wolves, right? Basketball, in my opinion, I, I don't know of a sport more difficult to officiate than basketball, really anywhere, but especially in Kentucky, Right? Um, it's really hard. It's fast-paced. You've got to know all these rules. You have to be definitive. It's really hard. And so I'd take these, student, these poor student workers and throw them out there to, to referee these games you know, where these, you know, these uh, other athletes that are out of season, you know, like these football players and these guys that are really competitive, and they're trying to manage these basketball games. It's awful. And so you know, the first few years I worked here, I didn't really know what I was doing. And so I would just throw these guys out there and just hope that no one died. No one's died yet. Uh, and then I just caught on, you know, this really, we had one night where there was almost a brawl <laughs> one, one night. I, that was before your time, wasn't it, Robert? I think it was before your time. You would remember if, if you were there. Uh, it was pretty scary. And I thought, okay, something's got to change here. And so, you know, I found uh, this, this referee who uh, was um, not just a referee, but he was a good teacher, and so uh, we worked out this thing where he start, we started doing about this six-week uh, six training uh, with my student workers, all right? And it's still unfair, you know, that they have to referee these games, but they are in a much better position now that they go through these training and we do these practice games and, and they really get a, you know, we give them the nice jerseys and the, and the whistles and they look official and we, and we really try. Uh, we're doing a much better job now about empowering my student workers, uh, to handle the job that they were doing. So before, it was a fool's errand. I was putting my workers in a position where there was little hope for them to actually be effective. But it's, it's much better when you actually empower people to do the thing that you're asking them to do. And which kind of leader do we think Jesus is? really don't think Jesus is going to ask us to do something and then not empower us to do it. So he gives us the Great Commission, and then he tells us to wait, and then he empowers us to do the thing that he wants us to do, which is to go and make disciples of all nations. And to do that, we need the Holy Spirit. We really need the Holy Spirit. I look at it like this. Um, Jesus is how we enter the kingdom. We enter the kingdom through Jesus. But it's with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we extend the kingdom. We enter the kingdom through Jesus, through our relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we're able to spread and extend the kingdom and to make disciples of all nations. Um, thought of another example. We have any, uh, anybody 16 in here? Any 16? Pete, that's not true. All right. To me, this, I don't think this is the best analogy, but <laughs> I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> this is lousy, so just forget it, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you. No. Morgan, 16? Okay, I see you. Morgan, do you have your license? Morgan has her license. How many, how many people in here have their driver's license? All right? So, Morgan, you're a part of this fraternity here. You have your license. You're official. You can go drive, Right? But how much can you really do until somebody gives you the keys? Right? This is basically what I think Pentecost is. I think Pentecost is God reaching down to his people and saying, here are the keys. 
with Jesus, we get our license, right? We're in. We're in the kingdom. But the Holy Spirit is the keys to go and extend it, right? Okay. So it wasn't terrible? It was okay? Okay, that's all right. All right, well, I feel better now. You've affirmed me. All right, so we need the Holy Spirit. Listen, I encourage everybody to do this. We did this with my home group uh, this year. And it was actually ended up being pretty revelatory. Spend 20 minutes and go through your concordance uh, or even online, one of those online Bible, Bible things, whatever. But just look up every reference of the Spirit or the Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, whatever. And just look at all the different descriptions of the Holy Spirit, all the different things that He does, all the different things that He is. Uh, some of the things that really stood out to me is how involved the Holy Spirit is in, in releasing joy in our lives. Uh, how involved you know, the Holy Spirit is as an encourager and, and in giving hope. You know, we need these things. We need the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, was, it may be revelatory to, to some of us also to see uh, any, any literary people in the room, English kind of people. You, you familiar with the phrase personification? Personification is like in a, in a story like, say, Narnia or, or whatever, where you have animals dressed as humans or doing human-type things. And so... Uh, you know, we see a lot of this with the Holy Spirit, you know, a lot of this personification. We talk about the Holy Spirit being grieved, right? Do you grieve your pet goldfish? Oh, maybe you can. I don't know. It talks about, you know, these, these different things about the, about the Holy Spirit that just make him sound kind of like a person. Maybe he is kind of like a person, you know? Maybe he's not just this ambiguous cloud, you know? Is it possible even to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Because when I started looking at all these different things, it sounded more and more like somebody we actually need to have a relationship with. All right, I've been a believer. I'm 35. I've been a believer since I was pretty much 8 years old. So what's the math? 27 years I've been a believer? Nice. Um... And I don't know, the first 15, 16 years of my Christian experience, uh, the Holy Spirit was more, uh, was predominantly in charge of convicting me of sin, okay? That is a role of the Holy Spirit, all right? But that was pretty much what the Holy Spirit was limited to in my uh, experience, was to convict me of sin. Uh, Important, but that was kind of the limitation. And it's only really been in the last, you know, 12, 13 years that I've really started to expand my horizons on what the Holy Spirit is and what my relationship with the Holy Spirit should be about. And I just can't imagine going back to the way things were before, you know? (coughs) Trying to do things without the Holy Spirit. I mean, I I think I did some pretty decent ministry. And I know I, I had the Holy Spirit to a degree, but things are just so much better, man. We need the Holy Spirit can't imagine trying to do ministry without the Holy Spirit now. Uh, something else that struck me about the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, so my first experience was kind of, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is in charge of convicting me of my sin, and then I kind of transitioned a little bit to where I started getting, okay, the Holy Spirit, He empowers me to do ministry, and so the, this, this idea of having fruitful ministry, you better have the Holy Spirit if you have hope of having really fruitful ministry. What if you find yourself uh, in life where you're, you really feel like you want more joy or patience or peace 
or kindness? What, are, what am I listing here? Fruits of the Spirit. I've heard the phrase, fruits of the Spirit, my whole Christian life. But it really has just kind of dawned on me pretty recently how integral the Holy Spirit is, not to just empowering us to do ministry, but how important the Holy Spirit is even to just refining our character. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to do ministry, but we need the Holy Spirit to have the kind of character. We want to become like Jesus? We need the Holy Spirit. You want more peace? You want more patience? You need the Holy Spirit. Okay, let me add this. Um, hopefully, this it, hopefully this isn't kind of confusing because you know, may, maybe some of us are like, well, normally if I need patience, I ask Jesus. You know? So who am I supposed to... <laughs> Who am I supposed to pray to, the Holy Spirit or to Jesus? Um, I'm going to give you a couple tips. Be just as general as you can. Just say, Lord, and that will cover it. <laughs> or just hit all your bases. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I need patience. <laughs> I hope you know I'm kidding. <laughs> Look, I don't think it's a situation where, you know, Say, Jesus, I need patience with Richard, to be honest. I just really want to slap him. Lord, give me, Jesus, give me patience. I don't think Jesus is going to look at me and say, sorry, that's not really my department. You need the Holy Spirit, and he's out to lunch. Try back in an hour, you know? It's really not what I'm getting at, you know. But here's the point I'm trying to make. You want to be like Jesus? You want peace? You want the fruit of the Spirit? You're going to need the Holy Spirit's involvement. Okay? That's, that's what I'm trying to say. All right, so we need the Holy Spirit. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, it starts when you receive Jesus. All right? You can't really separate the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? So when you receive Jesus, when you enter the kingdom, you're going to receive uh, the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to get in, uh, today's message isn't really, you know, talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit and, and all these uh, different things. Uh, that, that's not really where I'm, where I'm getting at today, okay? Uh, so I'm just going to keep it really simple. Um, you know, because I know, I know for some people that's an issue. You know, how many times, you know, can you be filled more than once and, you know, etc. That's not really what we're getting at today, but let me throw this out there to you, Okay? How many of us take issue with the notion of saying, I want more of Jesus? I mean, would that really offend any believer to hear somebody say, man, I want more of Jesus? Should it be a problem for anyone then to say, man, I want more of the Holy Spirit? Just something to think about. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? Well, for one thing, we can invite Him. Okay? We can invite the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you, again, just glance through your, uh, through, through your Bible and you'll see, you know, the, the Holy Spirit comes in so many different ways. People lay, you know, lay hands and pray for each other and the Holy Spirit comes. Uh, but a lot of times it comes when there's an invitation extended to Him. All right, so... Talking about uh, receiving the Holy Spirit, let me just share just a couple of my personal experiences, okay, on, on what happens when the, when the Holy Spirit 
uh, shows up. First of all, it can be weird. When the Holy Spirit shows up, it can be weird. Uh, Before I really started um, getting familiar with the Holy Spirit, uh, I was with this this traveling Christian uh, group, and we were at this church that wasn't like the church that I that I grew up in, and and it was you know pretty pretty charismatic, uh, and the, one of the one of our team members right next to me at some point just fell on the floor and was like shaking and crying. I didn't know if I was supposed to pray for him or do CPR. I didn't know what was happening. It was weird. I didn't know. I didn't know what was what was going on, you know. So eventually, and this was this was unusual for me, but you know, I, I had some kind of presence of mind to you know kind of lay my hands on him and pray for him a little bit and ask the Lord to help the poor guy. And, and uh, when he got up, you know, I asked him if he was okay, and he said, "Yeah, man, I was great. Yeah, I was just experiencing the Lord." And I was like, okay, that's brand new information. I've never really, never really been around that. But to me, it was kind of weird. One time, uh, uh, I had been praying for uh, the, uh, I'd been asking the Lord for the gift of tongues. You know, I just got to the place in my life where I just wanted anything the Lord is willing to give, you know. And this was still kind of at a phase where I was just, I wasn't really sure about all the all Holy Spirit stuff, but I was, you know, I just, yeah, Lord, if you're willing to give it, I, I want it. So I'd been praying for it. And then uh, one night I had this dream that, I don't know, we were in like this worship setting, uh, and I couldn't really make out people, you know, there, there were like lights on the stage, and I couldn't really make everything out, but I just remember my hands were lifted out at church, or lifted up in, in the air, and I just felt like this incredible warmth like in my belly. And I, 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 that's not like a normal experience for me to have, you know. Uh, the, the Lord actually, you know, He created you. He created all five of your senses, and, and He'll use all five of your senses uh, at times, you know, when you, when you experience him. And so I was actually feeling, physically feeling, you know, this warmth in my body. And it started in my stomach, and then it just, you know, just kind of, kind of, you know, came out, and I, was, and I was dreaming, right? And so this, you know, it, w- it wasn't like I felt like I was out of control or anything, but it was just, it was just like this warm, you know, stream just, you know, just, just coming out. It was really neat, right? And then I woke up, and I'm pretty sure I woke up, and I, I woke up, and my, you know, my, my, my arms were out. And nothing was actually, I wouldn't actually say anything. Nothing was actually coming out, but the experience was just very real, okay? And that's like one of the sweetest experiences that I've actually had with the, with the Holy Spirit. Uh, that, that's like one of those, you know, you had these kind of milestone experiences with the Lord. That was just one for me. I'll, I'll never forget. That was one of the most vivid, memorable dreams that, that I've ever had because the Lord was so real in it. Uh, we went to, uh, was it the call in... Las Vegas, is that what it was? The call? In Las Vegas, several of us. And, uh, you know, the, the call, I don't know if you've ever been to one of these, uh, but, but you spend just about all day at this thing, and, and you spend, you know, there's like an hour or so of worship, and then they have a particular thing that they pray over, you know, uh, whether it's abortion or whether it's, you know, some, t- some topic, something, uh, you know, and usually it's regarding that area, that particular city. And so we're in Las Vegas, and so they spent a, a section of time really interceding about human trafficking, which this was something that was kind of near and dear to my heart anyway. But something happened in the room, and everybody, everyone was on their face just weeping, all right? Now, that's a heavy topic, all right? It's really sad. 
It's really serious. And even if the Holy Spirit doesn't, you know, just show up in the room, there could be some tears, you know, in the room just talking about it because, but, but it was more than that. What, what I really believe was happening is the Holy Spirit was like giving us His heart on the matter. And we, I, I've never wept like that over anything. I've been to several funerals. I've been to some really sad ones. I've never experienced heartbreak like that, ever. And that was an, an encounter with the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, we were just puddles on the floor. It was really intense. And one time, Justin and, uh, let me see, was Adam with us? We went down to Florida? Yep. Uh, we went down to Florida. There was, you know, this, this outpouring, this crazy stuff was going down there, and so we wanted to, to check it out. And uh, the minister, um, one of the things he was really trying to do was he, you know, he was trying to, to move away from being the, the, you know, kind of the focal point. He was wanting to pass, I believe the expression he was using, he was wanting to, to pass the mantle on uh, to the ministers. And so after the session, like all the, he invited all the ministers that were there. He wanted to, to pass this on to us. We could take it to our, to our home churches. And so there's like a hundred, there's hundreds of us, right? There's a ton of us in the room. And so what he was doing was he was, you know, just symbolically, he had, I don't know, a, a coat or something where he was just, you know, going down. There was no way he had time to really pray for this anointing to be passed on, on to people. And so uh, he was just kind of going down, and people, we were, I don't know, halfway toward the end. Excuse me. Um, and everyone he touched, everyone just kind of just kind of fell down. And I was still a little skeptical. I, you know, that had never really been my experience. I'd never really, like, had this falling out in the spirit, spirit experience, you know. That just hadn't been my experience with the Lord, all right. I'd kind of gotten to the point where I was kind of okay when that was happening to, to other people, but I was still a little skeptical of it. And so I definitely wasn't going down just out of peer pressure, you know. Uh, but I was at least open enough, you know, all right, whatever happens, happens, right? So he's going by, he's going by. And when he gets to us, I just, I still have a hard time explaining it. I didn't feel electricity. I didn't feel heat. I didn't feel anything. The only thing I can explain to you is that for a moment, I just lost the will to stand up. Like, there was, like, no emotional, it wasn't anything like that. But he just, I mean, he didn't push me. <laughs> Nobody was down, you know, by my knees, you know, and hit, hit me in the knees. <laughs> Nothing like that. But he just came by, and I, and I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't one that just wanted to go with the crowd and just do what everybody else was doing. I just lost the will to stand up, and I went down, you know. I didn't fall out. I didn't go to, you know, some heavenly place or anything. I was just one minute I was standing, one minute I was on the floor. I think the Lord just passed something on that day. All right, my point in sharing those four stories, how different are each of those experiences? They're all very, very different, right? And so this is, you know, if we're talking about how to receive the Holy Spirit, this is maybe, I think, the best advice that I can give you. Be more concerned about pursuing the person than the experience. It can be enticing when you, when you hear testimonies and you hear stories of people that experience the Holy Spirit in these incredibly dramatic ways. And that's okay. I think it's okay to say, you know what, I, I just want to go out in the Spirit. You know, I just want to... That's fine. But I think our top priority needs to be to pursue the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is nice enough that... 
You know, he's going to come if you invite him, but I think it just makes the encounter easier if you don't put all these stipulations on it. I want to experience Holy Spirit like this. I don't want to experience Holy Spirit like this. You know? If we could just pursue the person of the Holy Spirit, and I think that'll open us up to a lot. Um, and let me let me let me hit on that just a little bit more. Listen, you don't have to be scared. If you don't have much experience with the Holy Spirit, you really don't have to be scared. I mean, I know that we... I, I talk about... I, I still see things that I think are weird, okay? I still, think, I still think the Holy Spirit can do some weird things sometimes. I mean, keep in mind, this is a supernatural God. When a supernatural God encounters natural people, weird things can happen. You stick your finger in a light socket, weird things will happen. When the supernatural encounters the natural, weird things can happen. It's just, it's just how it is. But let me tell you this. You know, I, d- I don't think the Lord necessarily respects our pride, you know. I think the Lord is willing to humble us on occasion, but I don't think it's the Lord's heart to humiliate us. And I think sometimes, you know, we're, we're hesitant to press into the Holy Spirit because we don't want to be embarrassed or humiliated. You don't have to be scared. You really don't. The Lord's not out to humiliate you. He doesn't, he, he's not concerned about catering to your pride, but he's not out to humiliate. I'll also tell you this, I don't, I've, I've never known anyone to be sorry after they had a dramatic experience with the Holy Spirit. I've never heard anyone who went down or just, or just cried or laughed uncontrollably in, the Holy, uncontrollably in the Holy Spirit and then said, man, I wish that hadn't happened. That was embarrassing. You know, I mean, and even some of maybe, you know, and sometimes people will laugh at themselves. Yeah, that was kind of crazy. But I've never known anybody to be sorry that they had that kind of an experience with the Lord. So you don't have to be scared. If you're like me and you have a tendency to be skeptical, and maybe you're, you're at, a, at a service or a meeting where there's maybe a lot of stuff going on and a lot of people on the floor, a lot of people, whatever, and there's a tendency to say, is that real? Is that real? Is that fake? Is that real? Is that fake? John Wesley, this is not verbatim, but he had a, he had a great thought on it. He said, you know what? I wouldn't, don't, don't be concerned about judging what's going on when they're on the floor. Be more concerned about how they live when they get up. Right? It's not really for us to validate or invalidate the experiences other people in the room are, ha- are having. All right, so I think I, I want to practice this. I've got a, a few more things that I want to hit, but before we go any further, for anybody that's feeling a little nervous in the room about the possibility of the Holy Spirit showing up, I just want you to look at your neighbor, all right, on either side, and look at your neighbor and say, it's okay if the Holy Spirit whacks you. I will not laugh at you. Much. <laughs> it's a safe place. We can experience the Holy Spirit here. We will not, we, we at least promise not to point. We may laugh a little, we won't point and laugh. All right, so you want to experience the Holy Spirit? We need the Holy Spirit. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit, I think the best place to start is with an invitation to invite Him. All right, this is the last thing I want to hit. Um, 
All right, the Pentecost was a huge deal, obviously. It demonstrated that we need the Holy Spirit, but it also demonstrates, and hang with me on this, it demonstrates that the Lord needs us. All right, that sounds odd, right? I mean, it almost sounds heretical, right? Or uh, blasphemous. The Lord needs us. Us, flawed, imperfect people. All right, let me explain. I don't think the Lord, like, needs us. Like, He is... You know, just this emotionally needy, (laughs) man, I really need those guys, you know. That's not what I mean. Here's the thing, friends, since the very beginning, since the very beginning, God has chosen to use us. That was His choice. Out of His goodness, He chose to let us partner with Him. From, From the very beginning, from Adam, all right? Now, God created Adam out of dust, breathed life into him. God could have created every human being the exact same way, out of dust. Boom, there you are. Tim, there you are. Right? Morgan? Instead, he decided to let Adam and Eve be fruitful and multiply and gave us all a role in in populating the earth. From the very beginning, he chose to use people to accomplish that. I don't think when God asked Adam to name all the animals, it was because he was out of ideas. I don't think he looked at the zebra and said, man, I got nothing. Adam, what do you have? (laughs) No, it's just the way the Lord has chosen to operate. He's chosen to use us. And it's the same way in in the Great Commission. if, if, If disciples are going to be made of all nations, it's going to take us because that's the way the Lord has chosen to do it. He's chosen to use us Therefore, he needs us to see that it gets done. And we see that at Pentecost. That's the shift that we're all invited to play and we're all needed to see it done. So if we want to reach our community, much less the world, it's going to take all of us. All right? And I think especially in our culture, we've kind of missed this basic lesson because we live in this church culture that really focuses on the ministers, you know, the super spiritual, the people that are called to be pastors or worship leaders or missionaries. That's what the super spiritual people do, right? And we still live a little bit in that culture. Listen, I I believe this. I think, and there's a lot of churches here. I think if you got all the paid professional Christian staff together in in Taylor County, you know, it'd be a pretty good number, and I think they could do a lot of, a lot of damage for the kingdom. I think they could, they could do a lot, but they can't win the whole community by themselves. They can't. I got some news for you, and this really might be news for some of you. Adam can't counsel all of you. <laughs> Not if he wants to stay married and have a relationship with his kids and do any other thing else in his life that he needs to do. You know, we're a church of 200, 300, whatever. Adam can't do it all. P. Ray can't do it all. I can't do it all, right? All right, here's a confession. I'm going to tell myself. When I first started, I'm in, I think, starting my second year. No, I'm starting my third year, finishing my second year as director of family ministries. And one of the big lofty goals I had that I shared with Adam, I said, Adam, in the first two years, I want to try and have like a, a meal or get in the home of every family in our church. I want to have, you know, some real face-to-face time with, you know, every family in the church. 
Now I'm telling myself, raise your hand if we've had a meal together in the last two years. <laughs> Whoops. Fell a little short on that one. You know, it's okay. You know, I've got a family, I've got kids, and you know, it just, it happens. Here's the reality. Here's the reality. We can't do it all. The ministers can't do it all. We need you. You are needed. If Taylor County is going to be one to the Lord, if disciples are going to be made, it's going to take everyone in this room. How many church, how many ministers get burned out trying to do it all? Right? Don't you get tired of seeing ministers just being burned up? I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that happen to Adam. I definitely don't want to see it happen to me. <laughs> I don't, you know, it takes us all. And yet we kind of live in this culture too where, where the idea, you know, this is how Christianity works. You gather your unbelievers or you're hurting and you, and you bring them to church and hope that they get fixed here, right? Listen, bring them to church. Introduce them to Adam. Introduce them to me. That, what, that's, that's fine. That's great. But this is what I've come to really believe because we're not just talking about converts. We're talking about disciples. Go and make disciples. And so I, I do believe that you can see a genuine convert made in an encounter. One encounter, I think you can make a convert. But it takes relationship to make a disciple. And it's not possible for the paid professional ministers to have a relationship with everybody. It's not going to happen. It takes all of us. If we really want to make actual, authentic Genuine disciples, it's going to take all of us. There are people in your sphere that maybe nobody else can really reach, that I could never reach, that you can have a relationship with, that you can cultivate that relationship with, you can sow into. And so if we want to do more than just make cookie-cutter converts, if we want to actually make disciples of Taylor County, it's going to take relationship. And you know what? We need the Holy Spirit to do it. And He needs us to do it. Okay. Uh, I think that's it. Listen, I don't mean for this to sound like a, a message of like guilt, but there is a heaviness to it because there's a big responsibility to it, right? When we start thinking about all the lost people in our community, it feels heavy, Right? But here's the thing, the more people that pitch in, the lighter that load feels. Because here's the truth, you don't have to do it all on your own. We have a community here. And the more people that step up, the more likely we're going to see these things realized. Right? So I'm not trying to use guilt, but there's a seriousness to to the charge that we have to go and make disciples. And here's the thing. It's not, this message isn't for the person sitting next to you. It's for you. All right? So the Lord needs you. Kelly Durham. The Lord needs you. All right? Chris. The Lord needs you. Gloria. Pam. And even you guys. (laughs) The Lord needs you. The Lord needs all of us. So the message of Pentecost today is that uh, we need the Holy Spirit. We can receive the Holy Spirit. 
And the Lord needs us to join in. All right? All of us. All right, ministry team.